Welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by one of my mentors, David Goldsmith. David is one of the founders of modern coaching in many ways, uh, also one of the drivers of what's become a worldwide movement. And while we get into more of that on the professional side, later on in Act 2, it's, it's really worthwhile noting and in, in Act One, David talks about growing up in Chappaqua, New York, about making a decision to campaign to have his high school and succeeding at having his high school graduation moved out of doors, and you'll hear why. Also, a conversation with his father that in many ways determined his trajectory in, in a direction that has had a worldwide impact. On a sad note, I want to mention and dedicate this episode and the following episode to David's business partner, David Peterson. David Peterson passed away just a week or two before this episode was scheduled to drop. And of course, David was a a beloved friend. David Peterson was a beloved friend of David Goldsmith's, as well as being his business partner. David Peterson is also another giant in the world of modern coaching. So keeping David Peterson in our hearts and minds, let's go ahead and dive into this rich conversation with David Goldsmith. Enjoy. David Goldsmith, it is a delight to welcome you to Mojo for the Modern Man. Nice to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, likewise. What was it like growing up in your part of the world? I grew up in a really interesting part of the world. I grew up in a suburb where most of the executives from IBM lived. So I was privileged to go to a great high school and other schooling in a town that was fairly affluent but had very little going on. And so it was an interesting place to grow up. We were an hour north of New York City. Uh, but a lot of very interesting, smart people around. My parents knew lots of smart, interesting people. And it made me think of something that's really changed dramatically is when I was growing up, my parents were all involved in school board and town club and PTA and a variety of organizations. And that was part of the fabric of their community. And they spent considerable amounts of their time in the evenings doing those things. They were in the drama club at one point in time. And, And I look at my life and It's not like how life is today. It's so interesting to see what's changed culturally. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately. What are the the big pieces of change that you're seeing? I want to hear more about your, let's hear more about your story, certainly. But since you bring this up, what are the big changes that you're, you're seeing? I don't feel called to or spend a lot of time going to school board, town club, League of Women Voters kinds of organizations in my evenings. Uh, I think the whole structure of my life is very different. And in some ways, it feels selfish and anti-community. And I'm not really sure how we got here, but it's it's an interesting thing to notice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we may come back to that. So uh, uh, so I take it this was in the, Ar- is it Ar- Armonk? Near Armonk. Chappaqua is another suburb right next to Armonk. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. But that 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 region of uh, of New York, which is downstate from where I am now, and and as you as you think back on those days, what what were the 
you know, if you could pick out a, a, a turning point for you or several really that, that really put you on your path, you know, to where you've eventually ended up now, but what were some of those earlier experiences that, that kind of shepherded you along? I was a kid who was in a big hurry to grow up. And I'm not really sure why, but that's kind of marked all of my time, uh, particularly in high school. I ran the high school bookstore and there was a profit making venture. I went and learned a whole bunch of advanced audiovisual techniques because that was more interesting. And I'd gotten through most of my high school credits by the time my senior year was there. Uh, I didn't really fit in with any particular group of people. I wasn't part of the jocks or the smart kids or this. I kind of floated around from place to place. One of the, I think, interesting stories from growing up, and it probably says a lot about me, is I wasn't involved in any of the organizations. But when it came time to graduate, um, I, I knew my dad didn't like going to indoor events, not enough fresh air for him. So my friend Josh and I organized that we were going to have graduation outdoors. And so I went and figured out who the right people to talk to and organized it and got permission to literally organize and produce an outdoor graduation. And we indeed had outdoor graduation and uh, including bringing beers to the janitorial crew after it was all over to thank them for all of their help. So uh, I jumped in where I felt like it was important to me and where I could make a contribution. And we had outdoor graduation. They did it for a number of years afterwards. So it was an homage to my dad and it was a fun thing to do. Uh, the, <laughs> I was going to ask you if they've if they've continued that 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 tradition so for a number of years and and that was it. Yeah, I I, I haven't stayed in touch. I have no idea what they did or whatever else. But that's great. <laughs> and 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 what did that? Uh, 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 and I'm curious. And how do you see that that kind of involvement or that kind of production, if you will? Uh, how does that continue to play out or not? I've gone on to organize a number of conferences and meetings in my life and world. Uh, and I, I certainly had hints at that. I liked it. I enjoyed putting that on. So I've done a number of coaching conferences over the years. I've done a number of smaller events. Certainly my work at Seven Paths, we've done some in-person stuff early on before the pandemic. So I've enjoyed that convening and that in-person gathering. And I'd say that was my first taste of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and if we and if we and if we push the button and move forward a few years, um, you know, what experiences later in later adolescence or young adulthood that that in some way, shape, or form shaped you. I was put myself into leadership positions early on, whether it was raising money for the local hospital by putting a fair on in the backyard or running the high school bookstore. I spent half of my college career uh, running the for-profit college radio station uh, and spent a significant amount of time there, probably more than going to classes. So I was doing, I was leading that organization before I had a chance to really understand what leadership was and hosting dinners and doing board of directors meetings and bringing dignitaries in and guiding strategy at the radio station. And I just, it's just what I did. I don't know that I was trained in it or figured it out, but it was an enormously valuable learning environment. Yeah. In what kind of ways? 
you had to manage a whole bunch of volunteers to get a thing done. We were on the air 24 hours a day. We had commercial sponsors that paid money. We had paid staff that I had to manage. We had all the things that a leader or a person running a small business has to deal with. I had to do, we had very complicated, difficult personalities. We had people who had opinions and we have this giant bulletin board where we would say, we're thinking about doing an X and people could run around and write their comments on that board about good idea, bad idea. And it was literally debated uh, on written form in public for all to see and comment on a very, very early bulletin boards. This is back in the late seventies and engaging all of that comment, thought, ideas, and dissent, and then moving the organization forward. I had to lead executive committee meetings, all those kinds of things. So I was 19, 18 years old. Yeah, wow. (laughs) And meanwhile, you were studying, or you were supposed to be studying what? (laughs) I was getting a major in uh, communications because I had a great interest in broadcasting at the time. So yeah. uh, learning about all that as well. And I indeed went on to broadcasting for a number of years after college. Yeah, what was it? Walk us through a little bit of your your broadcasting uh, history. I was short. I did. I was in the broadcast world for maybe three or four years. I came out of college and sold radio advertising. So I learned a ton about how to sell from a great uh, uh, owner of the radio station who had a very formal selling class. So that was very uh, foundational for me in getting comfortable and learning how to sell. I learned that I could talk to all kinds of difficult advertisers. There were people who had never advertised on the radio station before and had a reputation for being difficult. I was able to engage and connect with them and sell advertising to them. So I learned a lot about communication in those selling skills and had some real practical experience about dealing with interesting people. I went on to sell music uh, subscriptions Uh, radio programming to people all around the country. And I was 21 at the time, maybe. And I sounded 35 on the phone. And so I would meet all these people. We would talk on the phone and I would fly to their market to consult with them and help them get the programming going on their radio station. And I could predict within the first half a mile of them picking me up at the airport on the way to their radio station, they would say, do you mind if I ask how old you are? Because how I looked at the time was very different than how I sounded. And that was a really interesting experience that I had to manage for as well. Because here was this 21-year-old snot-nosed kid, maybe, coming and telling this 30, 40, 50-year-old radio station how to use our programming to have his radio station be successful. It was a little troubling for some. <laughs> and it, and and I'm making up from listening to you right now, David. That that you had a a, a modicum of success with this. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, well, what was it? <clears throat> if you could point to, um, you know, an attribute, a personality attribute, a value, anything. If you could point to what it was in you that that. Um, allowed you to to connect with the folks you were meeting you know it's such again given the age difference um and 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 even be able to make the sale what would you say those that or those attributes were i didn't get put off by people's bluster i'll give you another example there was a math teacher in my high school mr barlow super super smart super odd 
lived by himself, um, was very private. And most people were afraid of him because he would pick on people. And if you were, you know, dedicated and committed, you were fine. But if you were not, he would exploit those weaknesses. But a phenomenal teacher later learned that he went to mentor a number of people that were students of his through many, many years in their life and, you know, cared deeply about what he was doing. But most people were terrified of him. I thought he was cool. Mm -hmm. So I never had a problem with him. So I didn't get put off by odd behavior or aggressive personalities or people who said no. So like in the radio station world, people would come in and say, hey, I want to sell you some advertising. And the person would say, I don't do advertising. And the person would just leave. And I got curious and I would say, well, hey, this is a clothing store. I used to sell clothing. What do you sell? I mean, I would just engage somebody in whatever there was to talk about and connect and figure out where to connect with them. And I just had a comfort level with connecting with people wherever they were at. And for me, it was a game of just connecting with them as humans. And I think that connecting with as humans allowed me to understand their world and ultimately see a place where we could provide value to them. Whereas they said, yeah, let's go do that. And I then helped them shepherd that whole process. So I think it's listening, connecting, engaging. And I had a, a, an ability to do it early on. And I'm not sure where it came from, but I'm really pleased. I was going to ask you where, where you think it came from. And you just answered that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I, and I'm kind of curious, did you see that, that, that same curious quality and uh, desire to engage, but perhaps even a love of engagement and connection um, in your was that something that wasn't actually modeled for you at home or you see it in, in whether parents or otherwise family members? I'm not sure. I've tried to think about it. I can't tell for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I, I've talked about this with other folks. I think coaching is work that I was born to do. Right. And I don't think I knew that for many, you know, for the first 30 years of my life. But I think if I look back, there were experiences where I was using many of the things I use in coaching today were present for me all the way along. I do hope you're enjoying this conversation with David Goldsmith, and I invite you to come by my website, kenmossman.com. We'll get you there and check out what I've got going on. Let's go ahead and dive back into the conversation. Enjoy. So what was it that that led you to yeah what was it that led you to that led you to coaching it's a it's a phenomenal two-part story we have so, time <laughs> I'm so my dad was diagnosed with an untreatable form of lung cancer 30 some odd years ago i can't remember exactly when mm. he is just about to turn 70 he was given 90 days to live, and it turned out to be 90 days. I was visiting with him sometime in that 90-day period, and mom had gone out to do some errands, and I was hanging out with him, just he and I. And we were chatting, and he was bitching that my mom wasn't doing enough for him. Now, that was a crazy thing. She was doing everything for him, and her whole life was around what he needed. 
But from a person who's sick and has a more limited perspective, he'd been in and out of the hospital a couple of times. Um, that was an understandable perspective. And we chatted about that. And something in the way that we had that conversation really struck him. Because at the end of it, he said, I don't know what you just did in this conversation, but it was phenomenal. Mm. He said, I don't know whether you should be a shrink or a therapist. I don't know what that is, but go do whatever it is you just did. He said, I really respect what you're doing as a small business person and running your own business. That's great. Go do this. Now, my and, dad and you was were relatively and, 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 uh, and how old were you at the time? Just out of curiosity. 30-ish. 30-ish. Okay. Yeah. Carry on. And I was running another business and was fine. Um, but he was not one who had given me a lot of advice along the way. He was very hands-off about that. And I was very independent. I left home early, did what I wanted to do, didn't ask a lot of permission or counsel. So for him to say, hey, I feel great after this conversation. I can really see what's going on. And you should go do more of that was like, okay, pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah. A few months later... Uh, I got a phone call from my friend, Mark. Now, Mark and his wife and my wife and I, we'd go out to dinner and a movie every six weeks or so. And during dinner, Mark would chat about this business he wanted to create. And I'd be interested and enthusiastic. And we'd have this really engaging conversation. You could do this. And wouldn't that be cool? And blah, 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 blah. And we'd have get together six weeks later and have kind of the same conversation. Nothing had really moved. Now, it wasn't a concern for me, and I was just as enthusiastic. And one day, Mark called me, and he said, hey, could I hire you to be my coach? I said, sure, what's that? And he said, well, I think if we talked on the phone once a week for half an hour, I'd actually get this business moving, and I'd make something happen. And I think you could really help me, because I really have appreciated our conversations at dinner. And I said, well... I can, and he said, I'll pay you. I said, okay, I can talk on the phone and I can cash checks. So let's try it. Let's experiment. <laughs> it turned out to be phenomenally successful. Uh, Mark ultimately referred a whole bunch of other people to me. And that's what got me started in coaching. A little while after that, I met Thomas Leonard, who was running Coach U at the time. Mm. Shortly thereafter, I was coaching him. Hmm. And it all unveiled from that. But it was two things. It was really just me being myself at dinner with Mark and having him say, hey, I need more of that on a more regular, committed basis. And my dad saying, hey, you managed this conversation in a way that was extraordinary. Go do more of that. Well, well, and and, and again, in terms of uh, how, how long ago, this are we still talking 30 years oh, yeah. ago or so? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so really, so relatively, quite early actually, in the in the in the coaching movement, if we could call it that. Oh, very, 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 very early. And when I was starting to talk to people about being a coach, they would say, "What do you do?" I say, "Oh, I'm a coach." They'd say, "Little league soccer? You don't look that athletic." I'd say, "No, no, 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 business coaching, executive coaching. What's that?" So no, it was a time when, um. No one knew what coaching was. And if they talked about coaching, they thought it was athletic coaching. So it was very, very early on. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is fascinating, of course, because the, 
the 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 coach we might sound like dinosaurs here but the coaches who are coming you know coming up now aren't faced with the question the first question isn't oh what sport anymore right exactly (laughs) that's great and and you had um well, talk, I, uh, actually, feel free to brag a little bit, but talk about your 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 role in really. I said coaching movement. You know, to spend a little time on your role in in creating this the the movement that has happened. I got to do so many cool things at the start of the coaching movement. So when I met up with Thomas Leonard, he was running Coach U. It was a very early, one of the very first schools teaching coaching. We had this wild group of people who were passionate and committed, who were eager and excited because something they'd been doing all along now had a name for it. And people would... um See, there were articles that would be written. There was a very famous article in Newsweek that was written that showed Thomas Leonard driving around in a recreational vehicle, running his business all around. And people would read that and they would, this was back when Newsweek had really impressive reach. And people would read that and say, John, this is you. I just read an article about what you do all the time. You should go do more of that. So we all of a sudden had hundreds of students showing up and saying, hey, I want to join. We had lots of media attention. Um, It was growing. It was getting bigger. Uh, we looked around and said, this idea of having a coaching federation, a place where coaches could connect, uh, we should put that together. So we started the ICF, which has now grown to be this huge worldwide uh, place to uh, certify and for coaches to associate. We put that on. We put on coaching conferences. We uh, set up the first chapters for the ICF. We did all kinds of cool stuff. I got invited to go to Japan to help teach the first coaches there. I wrote articles, a column in the London Times where people would be able to read week by week a coaching session and really see what coaching was all about. So that was super cool. So there was all this really interesting, fun stuff to do with this emerging thing. And we'd go from no one knowing what coaching was to a day wouldn't go by in the Wall Street Journal where you wouldn't read about coaching the way you and I think about it. So watching the industry grow and blossom to where it is today is just super cool. Yeah, I think as as we're approaching the end of Act One here, we're going to dig into a little bit more of your of of, of your your current work, and I'm sure some of the history will come back in in Act Two as well. But I I, I think to to close out this first act here, <clears throat> as you you know as you take that retrospective look and knowing that you were you know really wildly early wildly early in this in in what has become a movement um uh a, a movement of profession something that's re- recognized and sought after uh what would you say were the have been some of the big perhaps early turning points that that not only for you but really more for the industry the profession uh, that really set it on 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 a, on a on a good footing, a solid foundation. It made such a difference for people early on, and I think the value that was created 
That along with a number of people that were naturally coaching along the way, they weren't therapists, but they had that approach to really connect with people and help people grow. And there were a lot of people that wanted to do that. So the combination of people having some uh, uh, an ability to see themselves and label themselves and belong to a group of people like themselves, because it is different than therapy. And they knew they weren't therapists um, and they knew they weren't consultants. So for a place for people to identify was really huge. But then the collective impact, there's a reason coaching is that millions and billions are spent on coaching by organizations and individuals because it's a unique form of connecting and developing and growing leaders in a way that training just doesn't get done. And that ability to really customize and make sure that the execution works and what people are learning and helping people grow. I think the ROI on growth is enormous when coaching is done properly. So I think those two things are really important pieces that really helped it make it where it is today yeah the world needed it yeah uh i'm i know you in in this case uh you're preaching to the choir over here and um well more to come on that when we uh, as we move into act two so david goldsmith thank you for this first act you've given me lots of good seed material for questions for the second half of our conversation Thank you so much for joining me, Ken Mossman, your host here on Mojo for the Modern Man, and of course, my guest today, David Goldsmith. David will be back for Act 2 of our conversation just a week from now, depending on when you're listening to this. And I mentioned at the top of the episode that David is also one of my mentors, and uh, I'm, I, I am unbelievably proud to, to be a part of the circle of good work that he does in the world. And of course, to have been able to spend a good deal of the time that I've known David, also with his late business partner, David Peterson, who was also just an absolute gem of a man, cannot say enough good about, about him and about the uh, magic that, that was David Peterson. So I do hope you'll also check out what you can find online about David Peterson, uh, a dear, dear soul. We have lost a giant indeed. I invite you to come by my website, KenMossman.com. It's relatively new and it's finally up and it looks great. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. Take a tour around. Every episode of Mojo for the Modern Man may be found there. My weekly writings may be found there as well. And you can subscribe to them on the website. Quick shout out of gratitude to Carly Farrar and Megan Johnson at Knack and Company. Megan keeps me going and organized and Carly, of course, for her copywriting expertise and to Josh Hines for his sound editing brilliance. And with that, be well, take care, and we'll see you back here soon on Mojo for the Modern Man. Mm-hmm.